0: You've got to tuned in to the RockFit Files podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. This week, I bring in another podcast host, Elizabeth Sherman, the host of Done With Dieting. She's an executive health coach, personal trainer, and helps people get a handle on their eating plans, especially women in their later years in life, say 45 and older, all through that hormonal hurricane that sometimes occurs. So hope you enjoy. Follow us on Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder. Be sure to subscribe tell some friends and enjoy the show.
1: Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the RockFit Files. This has been great. You know, last episode, I actually invited my wife, Dana, on, and she's has this wonderful eating lifestyle she has developed over the last few years that has allowed her to get into the body that she has struggled to try to create for most of her life. And so that made me kind of look out there, search the horizon for other people doing the same. And lo and behold, here you are. You were with the corporate world, uh, sometimes over in Silicon Valley and elsewhere as an executive uh, individual in, in the dot-com industry, shall we say. But then you you hung up your hat and you traded up for getting certified as a personal trainer. You've gone through John Berardi's uh, precision nutrition courses and and a whole bunch of other things. Now you're you're more or less kind of like a health or life coach slash trainer, nutritionist, and so on. And I, I would love to talk about all the things you you do, you offer, the the your background, and so on. So without further ado, thanks for coming on. Give me a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be so much fun. Um, so I am Elizabeth Sherman. My company name is Total Health by Elizabeth. And as Rocky said, I am a life and weight loss coach. And I mainly serve women in midlife because women in midlife really are a completely different, unique, um, we have a different hormonal structure than the other three quarters of the population, the other three quarters being young men, older men, and younger women. And so our hormonal, uh, the way that our hormones work against us, women in midlife really struggle a lot. And so anyway, Um, as Rocky said, I, uh, started out as a personal trainer and the beginnings of my, uh, my journey started out with my mom actually passing away from breast cancer. And that was actually a really huge pivotal turning point for me because I saw in that moment, I was 33 years old. My mom was, uh, 65 And in that moment, I saw that if I kept doing what I was doing, that I would end up exactly where she was. And I saw the pain and agony that she went through in her X number of years. I think it was like five to seven years of going through breast cancer. It had metastasized and um, was in recession. And then it came back with a vengeance. And I saw not only what it did to her body, but also how she was the, the mental struggle of um, having cancer and having to go in for treatment and so on and so forth. And so after she passed away was when I started researching, how do I not get breast cancer? And so I had already started exercising um there was a belly total fitness that had opened up right near my house and i was like okay i'm gonna join this gym and i kind of started to do it and i wasn't consistent and that was really the 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 story that i had going on that i was really inconsistent with my exercise and i would love to tell you that once i found out that being overweight, which I was, was a huge risk factor for not only getting breast cancer, but for all sorts of other diseases that I immediately changed my lifestyle to lose the weight and get on board. But the truth is, is that I went through another 10 or 15 years of trying to find the magic pill, trying to skirt the system, trying fad diets, trying supplements doing fad exercise programs and I did this whole thing with like, uh, with flourless or I'm sorry, with black bean brownies. Like I used to make black bean brownies because they were flourless and I would eventually eat the whole pan because I thought that they were healthy. They had this health halo around them. And so, um, yeah, it, it took me a while to get on board. And eventually, I went to see this psychologist, probably more as a life coach than anything else. And she was like, you know, I think that you would make a really good wellness coach. So this was back in 2005. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: in 2005, no one knew what a wellness coach was. I got my personal training certificate together. I got my uh, nutrition certificate together. I was still working in corporate. About a month after I got those certificates together, I got laid off the fifth layoff that I had since moving to Austin, Texas. Um, And what happened was I was like, okay, I guess I'm gonna be a personal trainer and wellness coach now. But I really kind of limited myself because again, no one knew what a wellness coach was and I didn't know how to market myself. And so for the next, I don't know, um, 14 so years, I really just stayed in personal training all the time, getting really frustrated because I knew that I could help my clients so much more than just counting repetitions and showing up and designing workout programs for them. And what was also really frustrating for me was that a client would start to get really good results. They'd get really consistent in their workouts and they'd even start getting really good results with their eating. And then something would come along in their life and the rug would just get pulled out right from under them. And that something was usually like job stress or the holidays or their kid would get in trouble or their something would happen with their partner or their parents or whatever. And it was always really just, I don't know, unsatisfying when we talk about stress management and health, that all we talk about is get a manicure, get a massage, get, you know, do some meditation, go, go for a walk. Like none of it really felt like it was helping people. And so it wasn't until I discovered life coaching for myself. And I added that into my practice that now I feel like I can really help clients get the most out of their health habits. Because we think that all we need is the right diet, right? We think sure. that what we need is someone to tell me exactly what to eat or exactly how to exercise. But it's that other shit that happens on, in our life. Can I swear? Sorry.
1: Swear all you want. <laughs> you go for it.
2: It's all that other stuff that happens in our life that prevents us from being able to take care of ourselves. And so by helping my clients view their problems differently, what that does is it helps them then take care, better care of themselves. So that's that makes complete sense in a nutshell. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you had in, in the passing of your mom, she granted you the gift of awareness, which was a, a wonderful kind of in some ways a parting gift and but it took you some time to find what worked for you and you found that and you've been able to maintain that which is something that is somewhat uncommon would you say Mm -hmm. so what do you think just curious and not to get too personal but what what's the underlying cause of of consistency for you
2: yeah, that's actually a really good question. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately because I try to help my clients with that, obviously. Um, and I'll I'll tell you, first of all, the I had this pivotal moment. I remember, and this actually wasn't even that long ago. It was probably like seven-ish years ago, that I remember standing there and thinking to myself, I was, first of all, I was still in the... Um, restrict binge regret cycle. So during the week, I would restrict my calories on the weekend, I would go overboard, and then I would feel terrible. And then I would do the whole cycle over and over and over again. And I was working out just a tremendous amount, I would go running for an hour. And then I would uh, train some clients. And then I would go back to the gym and do 45 minutes to an hour of really heavy lifting. And I had this kind of come to Jesus meeting with myself because I was like, Elizabeth, you cannot keep doing what you are doing for the rest of your life. Like there's going to come a time when you're not going to want to lug your food anymore. There's going to come a time when you can't run. You don't have the time to run an hour every single day. And lift for 45 minutes. Do you wanna keep doing this when you're 65 years old? And I was like, no, I don't wanna do that anymore. And so I was like, okay, so you either need to be okay with your body, because I was doing this all from a place of lack. I was doing this all from a place of trying to be thinner, trying to be beautiful, trying to um, control my body so that it would comply with what I thought society wanted from me. And in in doing so, it was just creating this battle with my body because I was trying to get it to do something and it was fighting back through the cravings that were just insatiable. And so what I did was I was like, okay, you need to figure this out. We're not gonna log our food anymore. I was still weighing myself on occasion, but when I moved to Mexico, um, I live in Mexico uh, from Austin, I threw away all of my scales and my weight scales as well as my food scales. And I was like, you need to figure this out. You need to be able to maintain your weight without any outside force. And so what I started doing was I started listening to my body. And what was really interesting about that is that then the motivation stopped being about what I looked like and actually started to be about how can, how do I want to eat and behave and move so that I feel good tomorrow, next
1: week, next month. Okay. So that's, I'm curious about that. Listening to your body because you're listening to your body with the mind that you've been having all your life. So how do you discern uh, when your body is speaking and when the craving mind is speaking? What what triggers or, or what flags appear to let you know that you're really listening to the, the right um, speaker, so should so we, yeah. shall we say? No, that's a really good question.
2: And it's difficult to decipher. Um, So I'll give you the short answer first, because sometimes when you're trying to decide between broccoli and brownies, you are going to go for the broccoli, but other times you are going to go for the brownies, right? Like brownies are not hands-off all the time. We need, there's, food is meant to be in our lives to help celebrate as well. Like Oftentimes, people will come to me and they'll say, "I want to stop eating emotionally eating entirely." And that's just not a realistic goal. we What we want to do is we want to stop the unconscious eating. And so what I find with myself is, um, so i'm I'm going to talk about listening to your body when it comes to food first, because we can listen to our body in the five the four different areas, the four different areas being eating exercise, sleep, and stress, okay? so And each one of those is gonna give us different information. And so first of all, in terms of listening to my body when it comes to food, understanding when I'm hungry and when I'm not hungry. And so for the very beginning, what I started to do is when I would see myself or find myself in front of my pantry rummaging around for food, I would check in with myself and ask, am I hungry? And if I wasn't hungry, then I would ask myself, why am I here? What am I looking for? And if I was sad or anxious or whatever, then I got to make a decision. And it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't just like, okay, well, you're anxious. So therefore you don't get any food. But at least I made it conscious and said, okay, I'm anxious. I know that I'm emotionally eating, but I'm going to eat this anyway, and I'm going to limit how much I'm going to eat instead of eating directly out of the bag. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that kind of started the whole process of the the path that I took. So that's eating, but then there's also exercise. And so like for example, something that I'm sure many listeners are doing right now is you have a specific plan of what you're supposed to be doing on a specific day as far as exercise goes. And unfortunately, plans don't take into account, especially an aging body. And so when we're younger, we might be able to bounce back and, you know, follow the plan. But as we get older, we might need a little bit more time. And so really kind of checking in with ourselves and saying, do I need to do this intense thing or do I need to relax a little bit? Yeah. Gotcha. So- those are some uh, some of the ways
1: that I listen to my body. Yeah. Well, you know, it it's interesting that there's advice out there that seems common sense, but it's actually the antithesis of what most people might want to do. And and I I mean that in the, in the framework of exercise more, eat less kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know that whole. That should be tipped upside down, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, In my experience, we are not a weight loss center in our studio. By the way, I've never claimed to be. People do come in here as a that's a goal in mind, but the ones that achieve it the most often are the ones that are either going to they're going to focus on one or the other because I don't think they have enough energy to focus on both at the same time, meaning eating right and exercising. Uh, For those that are losing weight, I actually say you are probably not eating enough and you need to eat more, but you need to eat more of the proper foods and not of what you're eating right now if we're going to create change. And to do that, that's going to require a lot of mental energy. And for that matter, emotional and spiritual, let's kind of pull it all together. And it's not going to leave a lot of time or energy for you to actually exercise. So here is this personal trainer telling people, I actually don't want you to exercise very much if your goal is to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Is is that... Silly?
2: No, not at all. Um, In fact, well, I guess it depends on who you're talking to, and obviously what their goal is. Yes. Um, So for women that I work with, age 45 to 65, oftentimes my clients don't get enough sleep, and I would prefer that they actually get an hour of sleep versus waking up an hour earlier and doing that intense workout. And so it really, again, depends on what your goal
1: is and what your priorities are too.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Because I would say a high percentage, 70, 80% is really about what you put in your body, not what you do with your body. So at least in my, I would just say in the experience that I've had in the years that I've been doing this, the, the exercise frequently and eat lower portions, smaller portions just doesn't seem to work very well for most individuals. Now, before we began this conversation uh, off the air, I'll say, we were talking about the, the enjoyment that we both have in, in regards to history and, and looking at where we are today based on where we came from. And for me, I did that with exercise and kind of question, why is it we're, we're going to these places, we're lifting these things, we're moving these ways, where did this all come about? And is it relevant and is, are we doing what we need to do for this body? And we can save that for another time, but you are looking into the, the history of diets and, and uh, eating and what, what kind of interesting insights have you found?
2: Yeah, so I mean, dieting and fat phobia and diet culture has actually been around since the Greeks. Like with the Greek culture, Rich people used to actually watch people go to the gym. They would go to the gym naked and work out and rich people would watch this and then fawn all over these physiques. Now, the ideal physique during Greek times was more chunky than what we would have today. But um, what's really fascinating is that the ideal body image has changed through the ages and the ideal body image, you will also notice um, mimics what the wealthy do during that period of time. So like, for example, during the depression, the it was not to, fashionable to be stick thin. Today, it's very fashionable to be muscular because wealthy people have more leisure time and so therefore can go and strength train and be more muscular and so it's really been interesting to watch how the ideal body physique has changed throughout the period of time yeah
1: so that means that it's it's constantly in a state of flux do you and, and that plays into what people are Im- imagining themselves to be in terms of their ideal frame so where is their happy ground where do you tell your clients
2: Oh, that's a tough question. So, I mean, it's really difficult to tease apart what are the beliefs that were imposed upon me by parents, teachers, preachers, like all of all of society of what's acceptable to be a certain size, right? Because we don't we don't decide that on purpose. What happens is as we are young children, Maybe we're in the, the trolley at the, the grocery store and we say, hey, mommy, look, that's a fat man. And mommy says, shh, you shouldn't say that, right? So then we learn that fat is a bad word. And we learn that pointing out that people are overweight is a bad thing to do, right? So all of this is very subtly brought into our awareness as children. And we also start to observe how people are treated when they are plus size versus normal weight or even thin. And if any of you have been in a weight loss, um, you'll notice that you start to get praise, right? When you start to drop weight, people say, oh my God, you look great. Like, what have you been doing to lose weight? but if you gain weight, suddenly people are a little bit quiet, right? And what's really interesting is also I had a client uh, when I used to work in a fitness center and she did gastric bypass. And so people were praising her and praising her and praising her. And then she got to a point and people were like, oh, but you're not going to lose any more weight, right? And so what tends to happen is that We feel comfortable talking about other people's bodies, and it becomes a really weird kind of topic or relationship, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, how do you navigate through all of that societal pressure? How do you peel it back to expose it for what it is? Or do you like when working with somebody that's, uh, you know, accepting who they are within a, you know, within proper parameters. You're not going to try and tell somebody that's living an unhealthy lifestyle that potentially is uh, very under or over their weight that uh, don't you worry, everyone's different. You know, how do you, it's a tricky conversation, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah. So I think that it goes back to the body, right? And how you feel, what are your health numbers? Because There's, there is a movement called health at every size and health at every size has gotten some bad juice, but what it means is that we cannot tell whether someone is healthy or unhealthy by sheer looking at them. And so it's possible that someone could be 200, 300 pounds and still be healthy. Not everyone is going to be healthy at that weight, but it's possible that that person could be healthy. And that's up for them to decide. It's their body. They get to decide what's right for them. So given that information, when a client comes to me, we really need to unpack why is it that you want to lose weight? Is it because you're experiencing some pain or some discomfort that you think losing weight will alleviate. And what's really interesting about this is that when we talk, look at the studies around obesity and like disease, we really don't have a clear connection between weight and disease. What's more of the relationship, so weight and the disease is actually a correlative study. What's more interesting is looking at the quality of food and exercise and what the outcome is. And so what I mean by that is that someone can be um, diabetic and their doctor will tell them to lose weight. However, if they just clean up their diet and don't lose any weight, it's possible for them to get rid of diabetes. So it's a little bit different but it's still pretty vast.
1: And I know this may be semantics, but the words that we choose can sometimes convey imagery or, or um, intent. So the, the words that you use around the approach that you take, do you use the word diet? Is it an eating strategy? Are we meal planning? Mm. How How do you package it?
2: Yeah, good question. So I talk about diets in two different respects. There's diet with a big D and there's diet with a small D. So diet with a big D is a prescribed diet. So like keto or Weight Watchers or something like that. And then I have diet with a small D, which is just the way that I eat, right? And so what's really interesting is that diets with a small D for one person can be a diet with a big D for someone else. Like I naturally gravitate towards eating two meals per day. And so someone might say, oh, you're doing intermittent fasting, but I don't really think about it that way. This is just the way I eat. And so I don't intentionally say, okay, I can't eat until one o'clock because that's when my fasting window is closed. And so that's one aspect to it. Now, the other thing that you asked about was eating strategies or meal planning. And I, use, I created something that I call a meal, or I'm sorry, a food uniform. And I think about it in terms of like having a capsule wardrobe in your closet. And what you do is you decide how many like servings of, so this goes back to listening to your body. Okay. And this is more of an advanced uh, idea, but I want to introduce it. So you figure out how many servings of vegetables and protein and starch that your body does well on. And then you kind of create meals based on that. So like, let's say for breakfast, or let's say that during a day, you're gonna eat five servings of vegetables, three servings of protein and two servings of fat, and then maybe two servings of starch. So then the next thing you do is you kind of um, figure out how that gets laid out between your meals. And then you start to build these meals around it. And then you just pick and choose throughout the day. And what it does is it automates how you eat so that you take the thinking out of it and you can easily go out to dinner or out to lunch and you know that you have the framework of, okay, it's lunchtime, I need to have one protein, I need to have one vegetable, I need to have one starch, for example. So what on this meal menu will I eat that is that? And if I go over, then how can I manage that in make up for it the rest of the day. Does that kind of make sense? Uh,
1: Yeah, totally. Very practical. (laughs) And when it comes to, say, back into the history of of, uh, eating, the history of diets, I can just think back to most recently, you mentioned keto. keto. We had the zone diet. We had uh, covert Bailey's fitter fat in the nineties. We had uh, Atkins diets and so on. Now, There's quite a few people for each of those that have been successful, but it's not for everyone. Do you ever match up clients with any of those capital D diets or do you typically stay away from them and just focus on the little D personal diet?
2: Yeah. What I do is I generally start people off with a generic um, suggestion. Actually, no. We start off with where they are. And for a week or two, we will find out how many servings of vegetables are you eating? How many servings of protein are you eating? How many glasses of water are you eating or drinking? How much are you moving? How much are you sleeping? And then we slowly start to increase. I like working with my clients in the area of displacement meaning that we add more things to your diet and to your day so that it crowds out the things that you don't want. So adding more vegetables, adding more water into your diet, crowding out the sweets or the, the carbs or whatever it is that you have too much of. And so that's where we generally start. And then from there, Um, To answer your question directly, no, I never start my client on a specific Big D diet. Um, However, what they may gravitate towards is basically their eating style and their body will tell them how they're doing. Because we all know people who've done really well on keto or vegetarian, and we know other people who've tried the same thing and they were like, this did not work for me at all. And so what we try to do is figure out what does work for each person. And, you know, I think that for the most part, you can half-ass most diets. Unfortunately, we as a culture think that we need to do diets perfectly in order to do them. And so what happens then is we start a diet and then we mess up or we eat a cookie or whatever. And we're like, that wasn't supposed to be on there. So I'm just going to go completely off. But if you half asked it, you could probably do pretty well with almost any diet, keto not
1: being one of them. But oh, why, why is that?
2: Well, because the way that keto is designed, that if you decide I'm going to go off keto tonight and I'm going to eat pizza, like all of that starch from the pizza is just going, you're adding so much fat in your diet through the regular process. You're kicking yourself out of keto and you're going to gain all of that weight through the, the, uh, the carbs in the pizza. Yeah.
1: I got you. Okay. Then there's the, the mental, emotional side of things. Yeah. And, it, it sounds quite obvious with, with what you're, you've been describing that you delve into that, but I don't get a sense that it's in the form of journaling. Do you, do you ask your clients to journal or is that something that's all uh, individually based? I mean, how do you delve into the triggers and the, mm-hmm. the awareness, bringing awareness to them?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So through life coaching, I use a tool that's called the model. And the model is based off of cognitive behavioral therapy, the think, feel, act cycle. And what that means is that when we're talking about diets, when we're talking about exercise, when we're talking about anything health related, Traditionally, everything that we do or what diets tell us to do, what fitness programs tell us to do, those are all action items. And we know that what our actions are, what our behaviors are, will create our results, which is why we're so fixated on doing the right diet. But the truth is, is that the reason that we do or don't do anything has everything to do with our emotional state how we feel at the moment, or how we think we're going to feel when we do the thing. And what causes our emotions is actually our thoughts about the thing. So let me put this into perspective. So I start a diet. And so when I do the when I start the diet, my thoughts are this diet is going to be fantastic. This diet is going to make me skinny. This diet is going to be the answer to my problems. Maybe we don't think that directly, but some sort of it. And when I think those thoughts about the diet, I feel motivated. I feel inspired. I feel just ready to conquer the world. And so when I feel motivated, I do the things that the diet tells me to do. And when I do the things that the diet tells me to do, I get the result that the diet promises, right? Well, at some point in our process, we're gonna stand on the scale and I'm gonna be like, I worked so hard this week. I think I'm gonna lose seven pounds (laughs) or three pounds or whatever it is that we think we're gonna lose. And we stand on the scale and the scale tells us, you lost one pound or a half a pound, or you didn't lose any pounds, or you went up. And when we see that number on the scale, our brain immediately goes to, this isn't working. This is too hard. This isn't working fast enough, or, you know, yeah, this is, ugh, this is terrible. And when we have those thoughts in our head, we no longer feel motivated. We don't feel inspired. We don't feel committed to the program. We feel discouraged. We feel, yeah, just let down, demotivated and frustrated, right? And so when we feel those things, discouraged and frustrated, the last thing that we want to do is actually follow the program. And in fact, what we probably end up doing is self-soothing with a pint of ice cream or Cheetos or whatever our thing is. And we sit on the couch and we don't feel like exercising either. And so what happens then is through my coaching, I help my clients to become the watchers of their brain. When we can collect those thoughts, when we can observe our brain offering lies like that, that this isn't working, because when our brain says this isn't working, it really doesn't mean this isn't working. It just means that this isn't working fast enough for me or I think it should be moving faster. And so when we can call BS on those thoughts that our brain has, then we can overcome them. Then instead of listening to our brains, we can actually talk back to our brains and that's actually how we become
1: successful. Great answer. Now, you do work heavily with the the women forty five age range around there, so we're talking paramenopausal, menopausal, and postmenopausal. With those three categories, do you I don't want to say that you're directly determining things based on those three categories or stages, but are there differences in terms of eating and hormones? from the perimenopausal to the menopausal and post.
2: Um yes and no. What's more important is that no two women are actually alike in terms of what their symptoms are. And so again going back to listening to the body. So there are five different what I call biomarkers that help that I help my clients to notice. And then we tweak what they're eating, how they're exercising and sleeping to align their hormones. And those five things are your energy levels, your cravings, your appetite, your sleep quality, and then your mood. And so what we find is that like, so let's take energy level, for example. Having a dip in energy level could be because they're not getting quality sleep the night before. It could also have something to do with how they're fueling their body. And so we really need to start connecting the dots between what I'm consuming or how I'm exercising and then how that's impacting me later on. And so um, some women may have trouble sleeping Uh, they may have trouble sleeping if they have too many carbohydrates or starches in their evening meal, or they may have trouble sleeping if they drink alcohol in the evening. And then if they have trouble sleeping, then they may discover that they have cravings mid-afternoon the following day. And so it really just becomes this, um, this network of being able to connect one behavior with how we feel and then how we feel and what our behavior is with a subsequent one.
1: Gotcha. Oh, well, good advice. Okay. We're we're coming kind of up against the clock here. Yeah. So you see clients online, not just on location, right? They're although I'm sure they would love to travel and see you in Mexico, but for those that aren't and they're looking for some guidance, they're looking for a life coach, wellness coach, nutritional guidance uh, what's the best way that that they can contact you? Yeah.
2: So um, thank you. So yes, I hopefully one day we'll have retreats down here. That'll be Uh, super exciting. Um, That'd be nice. I know. I know. Right. Who doesn't want to come down to Cancun? Um, But right now you can find me on my website at elizabethsherman.com. Um, I do work with clients one-on-one. I also have an amazing group coaching program uh, that you can join throughout the year. And um, then I also am the host of my own podcast called Done With Dieting, where I talk all about nutrition and exercise and sleep and mindset. And um, what else? Then, you know what? The other thing that I really want to let the listeners know about is I have an amazing opt-in which is called the eight basic habits that healthy people do and these are all really basic things but if you do these eight things you will be healthier than most people and it's a really amazing guide and checklist and it'll get you in the swing of just cleaning up your your health and feeling better.
1: Beautiful. All right. Well, I'll make sure those are in the descriptions below the podcast so people can get, can connect with you, check you out, contact and so on. Get those eight, eight. um, What did you call them? Eight what? Basic habits. Basic habits. Good. Well, I'm going to go on just to see if I I got the majority of them. Hopefully, you know, (laughs) one out of eight, that wouldn't be bad, but uh, (laughs) maybe perfect score would be good. Elizabeth, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been a lot of fun and very insightful. Thanks for having me, Rocky. This has been so much fun.
0: My pleasure. Oh, that's it for that episode of The Rock Fit Files. I just want to thank Elizabeth for coming on, sharing what she's been doing. And uh, if you want to listen to her podcast, please just do a search for Done With Dieting or check the description below this podcast for more information on how you can connect with Elizabeth, her work, and her podcast. Until next time, be sure to subscribe to us if you haven't clicked that button already, and we'll see you next week.